So we had a wonderful Christmas spectacular. What an awesome night we had last night. You know, when we get together and we just show the love of God in that way, it blesses my heart. And I love Christmas. I love everything about it. I mean, I even love Santa. I, I'm, I wish I could still lie to my kids and say he was coming. They kind of know now, but it doesn't work. <laughs> but I used to love telling them things about Santa, and I knew it wasn't true, but I loved doing it anyhow. <laughs> so Christmas is a busy time. You know, we have to make room for so many things. To, you know, we have to do so many things that we just don't normally do. Um, we have to, you know, go out and do shopping, which I kind of love shopping, but I haven't even started yet. We have to buy gifts. We have to wrap them. We have to put up trees. We have to do all these things. We have to make room for all this stuff to happen in the, in the time we've got while we're still doing everything else we normally do. And I don't know about you guys, but the Lebs, I'll tell you a story about the Lebs. Every Christmas, it's like a law. It's probably commandment number 11. You have to clean your house. You have to take everything out of every cupboard and wipe everything down, go through your clothes, take out all the old ones, give them away, clean all the shelves, clean the shoes, and you have to do that by Christmas. And this is our Lebanese commandment. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I don't know how I'm going to get that done, but anyhow, and then you've got to think about all the cooking, you know, whether you like it or not, you've got to cook. And, and then, you know, you go into the stores and the beautiful carols are playing and it's just an amazing time. I just love hearing the Christmas carols and, you know, when they... When they sing songs, you know, one of the songs says, let every heart prepare him room. And I'm thinking in, in Target and I'm looking around, I think nobody has any idea about making room or what, what on earth is going on. Everybody's just shopping. It's like, you know, I feel like saying, you know, wake up. Do you know? Do you know what it's all about? They have no idea, you know. And we're so busy getting ready for, for this big day, like it's, it's like the world's going to end, you know, for Mickey's electrician, if you don't, you know, you've got to come before Christmas, the world's going to end if you don't come and do my electricity before Christmas. It's, it's that D-Day. And we miss the little things, we miss the really little things, the, the moments, we miss the opportunities sometimes because we're so caught up in, in what we have to do. And I find it so strange, you know, I, I've been working now for six years after having 20 years with my children, which I treasured, and now it's time to work. So I've been working, and I, and I, I, I think about Christmas, what we do, we, we celebrate Christmas as organisations across offices. Everybody closes down, bosses pay for your lunches and dinners, they take you out, you know, they buy you gifts and all this wonderful stuff, but none of them really, not hardly any of them believe in Jesus. And, and yet they're celebrating this wonderful time. You know, it's like, this is what it's like to me. It's like I'm having in my own house a birthday party for the stranger that lives three streets down, but his birthday party is in my house, but I'm not going to invite him, but I'm having a party for him. Wow. And, it, you know, I just sat there and thought about that. I thought, that is really weird. I would never have a party for somebody I don't even know. Yeah. And yet the whole world does that. You know, and, and s some people like to think, well, you know what, I really want to have a great party. It's a good time to drink and celebrate and all that. I'm not saying that's wrong. But then they sort of say, well, I want to change the name of the celebration so that I don't have to think about why I'm celebrating. So I don't want to have that word Christmas. And, you know, we need to make room. We need to just make room for what it is. We need to make room. And it's not very different today to what it was 2,000 years ago. And... You know, Christmas kind of, in August, I saw Christmas decorations in David Jones, and it's like, prepare the way. Christmas is coming. <laughs> and it's like Jesus, when he was coming, there was time to prepare because 
we were told he was coming. We were told he was coming by lots of different ways. You know, the prophecies, the scriptures, they spoke about Jesus coming. Isaiah prophesied that he was coming 700 years before he came. And in Isaiah 43, it says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then John the Baptist echoed these words before Jesus began his ministry. So he was already born, but still we're reminded to prepare the way. And he said in John 1.23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He repeats those words. The NIV says, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the way, clear the way. The Lord is coming. Clear the way. And clearing the way means we need to remove whatever is in the way. We don't have to clear the way if it's already clear. But God knows the way is not clear. And, you know, it's like taking something out of the way so something else can pass, so something else can take over that place. And, you know, we don't have unlimited space. We don't have unlimited time. We do have an unlimited God. His power is unlimited. You know, he can do all things. There is nothing he cannot do. You know, his power to work in our lives is unlimited. But we don't have unlimited time as people on the earth. We're here for a certain time. We live and then we die. We're born and then we die. It's limited. We don't have unlimited space. We, We just don't have that. Now, we can't make more space. I'll tell you what I mean. If I give you an example, you know, how often do we get asked to do something, and usually it's by our mother or our father or our husband or our wife, and, and they say, well, you know, you need to do this, and, and, and if, I mean, I do this, I say, look, I'm too busy, I just can't do it, and then the person responding will say, I'll say, I haven't got time, and the person will say, well, make time, you can't make time, you cannot make time, <laughs> I can't get up in the morning and decide, you know what, I really need more time today, I'm going to make the day 28 hours instead of 24, so I've got four hours extra, so I can do all the things I have to do. It doesn't work that way. We cannot make time. We have to remove things to create space. We can't make space. And what I mean by that, we don't have unlimited space. So I can't decide that my house is too small. And I mean, I can go and buy a bigger house, but even that will have its limits. But I can't decide I'm going to go and take my neighbor's bedroom because I need more space. I can't do that. I've got my space. Even if I buy a bigger house, that's the space I have. You know, that's just what I have. You can't go on forever. So I need to make room by removing something to create the space or to create the time. I have to take something away. And Mick and I have learned this, our family, the Sabbath household has learned this quite well. We moved in two years, five times. And so in that time, we had this, you know, I'm an expert at packing. I should open up, I've said this before, I should open a, remo- open a removalist business. <laughs> I'm so good at packing without breaking things. So we had this, we had this tennis table table and it was, I don't know who gave it to us, but it was really new. It was so good and I just couldn't part with this table. And so in this process of moving, so we moved this table from, and I've written the names down, from MacArthur Street to Golan Avenue. And then we had to move again. So we packed this thing up. We paid, we paid somebody probably more money to move it than it would have cost us to buy a new one. So we paid money to move it from MacArthur Street to Golan, then from Golan to Gladstone Street, from Gladstone Street to Dorothy Street. 
In Dorothy Street, I decided I cannot carry this thing anymore. I need to make room. I cannot pay to move this thing anymore. Because after Dorothy Street, there was Becky Street. And after Becky Street, then we moved to Kalula Avenue. And I did not want to pay any more money to move this tennis table table. I don't care how new it was. I had had it up to here by now. So I put that thing out the front and I said, God bless someone with it. And it rained all over the table. So I guess I just needed to make room. I just needed to make room. You know, when Jesus was born, there wasn't much room. In Luke 2, 7, it says this about Jesus coming into the world. It says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, that statement, that last statement was unnecessary. So we could have stopped right at, and she brought forth her first son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. But then we're told why. We're told why because it's important to make room. There was no room for Jesus, and so she laid him in a manger. Now, I can't help but wonder how many places Mary and Joseph knocked on the door of. How many hotels, how many inns did they knock? You know, and, and people said no. Did they not see that this woman was pregnant? Did they not see that this woman needed help? Did they not have mercy or empathy or compassion on this woman and her husband and this baby that was coming? And they, they just said no. They just could not make room. Now, I've learned one thing about the Middle East. It is a corrupt place. I've learned one thing about the Middle East, that if you know someone, you can get anything you like. If you know someone and you've got cash, you can get more than what you like. That's what it's like. That's what it's like. But you know what? You can get away with murder in the Middle East if you know someone. But Mary and Joseph, nobody knew. Nobody knew Jesus was coming. He was announced centuries before. The only ones looking for him were the strangers of the East were waiting for a sign. And the ones that he came for did not know. The ones that were right there closed the door and said, there's no room for you. There is no room. There is no room. When, when Brad was detained in Lebanon, we had the whole, anyone we knew was onto it. You know, we had my cousin's son who was a major in the army. He was making phone calls. You know, God was using him to create a way. He was advocating for Brad. You know, our friend, our personal friend, he knew personally the Australian ambassador, Glenn Miles, the ambassador to Lebanon. He was involved. He involved him. He called him. In the middle of the night, they were contacted. They were advocating. They were calling. They were calling, making phone calls, going to places to advocate for Brad. Jesus had no one to advocate for him. Nobody was calling. Nobody was trying. Nobody, you know, it just was no, there's no room. We're just going to watch a two-minute clip, if we could just play that. Looked up, sorry. We don't need much. What part of them all booked up did you not understand? I have no room for you in my inn. Please. We've been walking for days. Do you think you were the first person to pound on my door at this hour of the night looking for a room? There has to be something. A, a closet, perhaps. You can keep asking the same question. I'm going to give you the same answer. 
Why, what are you doing up? You need to rest now. We won't be any trouble. And I'll pay you whatever you want. Please. I'm, I'm sorry. No vacancies. Give me a minute. And finally they were given a stable where the animals were kept. If that man knew who was knocking on his door, I wonder if he wouldn't have said to him, all my rooms are booked and I don't have a vacancy, but you can have my room. I'll give you my bedroom. You can have my, your wife is going to have a baby. You've been walking for days. Come in and take my room. I'll give you my space. I'll make room for you. You know, this, this kind of thing reminds me of the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler. You know, the story is documented in Matthew, Mark and Luke. And today I just want to read it from the book of Mark. It's Mark 10, 17 to 31. And it goes like this. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And there are a few things I just want to unpack in this story. Now, this man from the outside, he looked like he had a perfect life, a bit like an Instagram kind of a life or a, maybe a Facebook kind of life. And I tell you, if any daughter of mine brought home a man that was a rich young ruler, I would be very happy. <laughs> it would not bother me one bit. <laughs> It would be great because if he's rich, I know she's not going to struggle. She can buy anything she wants. She can go shopping with me all, you know, all the time. She would be well cared for. He's young. Well, young means, wow, he's, he's rich and young. You don't often get, you can be rich and old a lot of times and you're too old to enjoy the rich. But when you're young and rich, it's actually a bonus. And then ruler, he could have been a politician. He might have, you know, he's got some sort of authority somewhere. So he's done well for his life. Not a bad kind of husband to be, I think. And he came to Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, you can see me after if you're a rich young ruler. <laughs> Send in your resume, please, and your profit and loss statement. And <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. 
I would say that that's what it looks like on the outside, but <laughs> he came to Jesus to make sure. He was double-checking he was going to receive eternal life like icing on the cake of his perfect life. And he called Jesus a good teacher. So he was kind of raised well. He was very respectful. You know, he came and he, you know, it says he came and he, he kind of knelt at Jesus' feet. So he's a quite, quite a respectful rich young ruler, which is a bonus. And Jesus questioned him with this kind of rhetorical question, why do you call me good? But I don't believe Jesus was denying who he was. I think he was making more of a statement that only God is good. Is there a chance that you know who I am? He, he did not even stop to wait for an answer. You know, and then Jesus began to give him the law, don't steal, don't kill, and all the rest of it. He, he said that to him. And the young ruler said, I have done this from my youth. It confirms he was raised well. He was raised in the church. He's probably from a Christian family. He'd been going to church all his life. He probably read the Bible. So he's kind of got this perfect thing happening. And then the verse says, then, and this is only found in Mark, actually. That's why I picked Mark. It says, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. So he had this perfect life. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him too much to keep him in that place. He loved him too much to keep the truth from this young man. And Jesus challenged him. He said, you lack one thing. This man thought he had it all together. He thought he was, it was perfect. His life was just, he was just checking that he was going to heaven as well. And then Jesus challenged him. You have one thing that you lack. And I, I wanted, I believe Jesus wanted to replace all this stuff. And Jesus says, I want to give you something else. I want to give you treasure in heaven treasure in heaven. I want you to get rid of all this stuff that you that makes you feel like you've got a great life. I want you to move that out of the way because I want to give you treasure in heaven. I want to give you something better. I want to give you something more. You know, I want to I want to replace that. I want you to make room for something better to get rid of the stuff that you think is valuable and let me replace it with something that is eternally valuable. You know, if you have gold on earth and it's so precious, imagine what treasure in heaven is like. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine what that looks like. But this young, rich ruler went away sad. You know, and I think that there are times we think we've got it all together and we've given God his portion. We're just ticking boxes. We've given God his room. We've given him his space, his bit of space of our life. But God wants to invade our whole house. God wants our whole heart. And God wants to live there, and sometimes we only allow him to visit. And I think we have to think about a house. What's a house like? You know, we have our lounge room, and the lounge room is usually the common room. The lounge room is where, you know, we might let Jesus into that room, but everyone else is in that room. And it's a good room because it's a shared space. It can be noisy. You don't have to really, if, if there's someone you don't like, you don't really have to talk to that one. You talk to someone else in the lounge room. You know, there's, that's a lounge room. And usually the guests are received there, but they can't live there. Usually if you want to get rid of them quickly, you give them a cup of tea and say, thank you so much, you know, here's your cup of tea. And after the tea, you, you quickly put the, you know, take the tea away. It's a visiting place. The lounge room is a visit place. It's not a place you really sleep. It's not a bedroom. It's not where, where you live. Or we might allow him in our kitchen. And, and this is great because this is what my kitchen's like. Maybe we allow Jesus in the kitchen of our life where there's lots of mess he needs to clean up. And we sort of say, well, you know, 
I need you prepping this and I need you fixing that and I need you, you know, and we say, give us this, daily br- uh, this day our daily bread and that's the end of it. Thank you very much. Off you go. Or maybe it's the office, the place where we do business, the place of finance, the place of the tithe and the offering. Maybe that's the place we don't really want him to go. Maybe there's no room there for him. Maybe there's really limited space in there for him. That's my private space. Don't go in there. You know, I'd rather you stay in the lounge room. Or could the office be the place we sit at our computer and look at things we should never look at? You know, the place that we we maybe get carried away and we, we sort of, a fleshly place where we just don't want God going in there. We don't want Jesus in that place at all. There's no room there. Or maybe the spare room. Does anyone have a spare room? I have a spare room. Oh my gosh, I have a spare room. <laughs> I, I want to show you my, I'm going to really confess. I want you to see my spare room. This is what my spare room looks like. Is it coming? Oh no, we don't have it. Okay, that's all right. So the spare, my spare room, my spare room, my spare room used to be the prophet's room. We called it the prophet's room because we set it up as a bedroom. As it talks about, you know, the Shunammite woman where we had a desk, a lamp and a bed. And that was our prophet's room. But right now we're renovating downstairs. So what do we do? All the junk, all the boxes, everything is stacked up from the bottom of the floor to the top of the ceiling, all over the room. That's my junk room. And you know what? Maybe we put Jesus in there with the junk and we sort of shut the door. And you know, our, our little spare room is when you walk in the front door, it's on your left. There's a door on the left. So anytime anyone's visiting, my biggest priority is to make sure that door's shut and nobody sees my junk room. And we've got to ask ourselves, where do we put Jesus? Do we put him in a box and put him on top of all the other boxes in our spare room? You know? And I also have to apologize to Rose and Dorian, but I don't think they're here. You know, one time I went to visit them when they had their little baby and, and I was talking about their lovely home and I said, oh, you've got a lovely house. You know, I th- and I thought it was only two rooms. She said, no, that's a bedroom in there. That's another room. And then I, as she was saying it, I opened the room. I thought, oh, let me have a look. Of course, I'm Lebanese and should do things I shouldn't do. But I opened the door and she goes, oh, that's my junk room. And I thought, I'm so sorry, Rose. I saw your junk room. You've got to come to my place and see my junk room. <laughs> Mine's much worse than yours. But it's the junk room, you know, it's the, it's the storage room. What about the bathroom? Now, the bathroom is the smallest room in the house. And sometimes we allocate the smallest space in our house for him. I want us to think about that. Or what about the garage? The innkeeper gave Jesus the garage. The innkeeper said, you know what, I'll try and help you the best that I can, but I don't want you coming into my house. There's no room for you in my house. I'm going to put you a, you know, a distance, a certain distance away where I know you're there and you're okay, but I don't want you close to me. That's the garage of the house. And I want to challenge us. I want to challenge us. And last but not least is the bedroom. Now, I don't know, but I think sometimes we want to shut that place off to God. And, and I want to speak to, to people today, and this is probably a word of truth, that the bedroom is actually a sacred place. And it's designed for marriage, and Jesus wants to invade that space. He wants us to know that that's a holy place. 
and I just want to reiterate that I think we, you know, we have to talk about these things sometimes. And it's a sacred place. The bedroom's a sacred place for marriage. And I want to just say that it's to be married to one another, not I'm married to somebody else. You've got to be married to one another, just to make that clear. It's a sacred, holy place. You know, and I, wa- I know my Lord. I know our Lord. You know, he wants to invade the space, not to punish, not to rebuke, not to chastise, but to make holy and to heal. He wants to redeem that place, that special place. He's designed for the husband and the wife. He does not want shame nor guilt. He wants love. We, are, we, we serve a God of love, a God that wants to bring wholeness. And if you're someone who has honoured God in this area, I want to commend you and I want to say to you, never regret, never regret obeying God. You've never missed out on anything by obeying God. God will honour you. You have honoured him. He, he will honour you for choosing to be obedient. But if you haven't honoured God, Jesus is called the Redeemer because he'll redeem. He will cleanse. He will heal. But we need to let him into the rooms of our home. We need to let him into every room of the home of our hearts. He does not bring condemnation. He brings freedom. He wants to set us free and he wants to live in our home. He wants to live in the home of our hearts. He wants to invade our homes. And the rich young ruler thought he had it all, but he missed the most important thing. And the scripture says in verse 22, but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now God gave us his life so we could give him all the rooms of our lives. He has given us full access to himself, his throne. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. It's open to us to come in. He's opened up his home. He's opened up his place. And I believe that Jesus is calling every single one of us this Christmas to be making room, to be opening doors and making room. Make room for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in your house, in the house of your life, in the house of your heart. Revelations 3.2 says this, Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If any hear my voice and open the door, I will come into their house and eat with them and they will eat with me. I wonder if you can hear him knocking on the places of your heart, on the rooms of your heart. I wonder if you can hear that knock or are we too busy preparing? Are we too busy running around? Do we, why not make room for him? Do we hear him? You know what Jesus said? And this blows me away that, he, you know, we, we need to make room for him. But he's told us that he's making room for us yeah, already. Right. He told us that already, that he's gone to make room for us. John 14, 2 says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have not told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Would I not have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? My father's house has many rooms. And God is preparing a room for you. Will you prepare your room for him? That's the question. Would you prepare your heart for him?